Hello, PodFam. It's Laura. And this is Rachel. And welcome to The Tea with Laura and Rachel. We are back for episode number four. I can't believe we've actually done four episodes already. Very exciting. Yeah, I am pretty excited about it. And I really like how we have our nice Wednesday night recording session. It's nice to have that every week. It's definitely becoming a new ritual for us. It really is. It's just replacing our weekly phone chats. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much we're just recording the phone chat. So, But you know what? That's what this podcast is all about. And today we are taking a uh, pretty deep dive. Now, this episode we are going to be talking um, all things menstrual cycle and kind of our experiences growing up, our experiences with uh, hormonal birth control and uh, not being on hormonal birth control. So if this is a topic that is kind of triggering for you, you might want to skip this episode. Um, We won't get into any gory details, but everyone kind of has a different opinion on this subject. However, we definitely like to cross the barrier, so we are going to talk about it today. But first of all, Rachel, what are you drinking? I have a ginger tea today, which is following up the spaghetti and meatballs I had for dinner. So I feel like it's probably a necessity. Did you have spaghetti too? Yeah. <laughs> no way. So same here. <laughs> I know. Sometimes you just need a big pasta dinner, right? Honestly. And we ordered from a nice little Italian restaurant in the town that I'm staying in. And oh my God. So we had one. I haven't had a restaurant Caesar salad in about four months. And I haven't had any form of a restaurant dinner in about two. And it was so good. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, well, we definitely did not have um, fancy takeout spaghetti. We had leftover spaghetti from last night because, you know, we've just we've just been on a bit of a spaghetti kick this week. It's cold. We want to be full and we want to be tired. So we've just both been craving spaghetti. I love that for you guys because, you know, it's the perfect winter dish. It is. It just warms you up and fills you up and then you're ready for bed. Yes. But what are you having for your tea this evening? So tonight I am drinking one of my favorites, honey lavender. Ooh. Yes. And can I talk about my honey lavender tea for a moment? Of course you can. I love to hear your tea rants. (laughs) I'll keep it short. So this is a honey lavender rooibos tea. And I'm pretty sure I own the last two bags of this like particular tea blend from this uh, company that I get my tea from. And I have been hoarding them for I think about two years now. Like they're still in the original packaging that this company did. And that was about like three or four bags ago. So definitely like, I think I actually got them in like either 2017. Yeah, I think I got them in 2017. And you know, they're sealed. They're great. And um. I had this like big podcast interview on a different podcast this week. And so I thought for that day, you know, I needed to bring out my favorite tea. And because now we're on another, our podcast here, I thought I should just keep it rolling with, uh, with this honey lavender tea. I love it. So did they discontinue it? They did. And like, I was really upset and that's why I had bought a bunch of bags um, when they, you know, just discontinued, they didn't even put it in the vault, which was very disappointing because it's a beautiful, sweet, light tea. However, because it's a rooibos, it's got that like mellow, rich flavor. 
Um, so yeah, I was a little upset and I bought uh, as many bags as I could. I'm down to the last two and I hadn't opened them for years now, but you know, you gotta, gotta live your life. So I decided to finally open them. You've got to savor those. And you know what? They can just be a staple of the podcast. Absolutely. So if I'm drinking like honey lavender tea for the next few episodes, um, I'm really enjoying life. Just, <laughs> just enjoy my tea. <laughs> the fact that she is drinking her most special tea for this podcast just shows how special this podcast is. Exactly. You know, this is not a tea that you pull out for any day. You pull it out on the good days. Exactly. And I love that it's a good day. On that note, would you like to jump into the stages of your menstrual cycle? Absolutely. Of your menstrual cycle. Of my mine in particular, are we just going to talk in general? Because, you know, we can go down both routes. <laughs> I think maybe let's start with some specifics, even though I'm sure majority of our listeners have a good understanding of it. And then we can jump into our own experience and some tips to help deal with the not so fun parts of your monthly cycle. All right, so let's get into the different phases. Now, there's a lot of debate right now in the uh, medical community about which phase comes first. Now, traditionally, it has been the start of your first day of bleeding and then followed by the follicular, ovulation, the luteal and then back to menstruation. However, with uh, new knowledge coming out and having more female voices in the medical space, they are starting to kind of change that a little bit where the follicular phase is actually first and then ends with the menstruation phase. So we are going to be a little bit uh, on the new age side here and start with the follicular phase. So in your follicular phase, you have just finished your period. And on day one, your hormones are going to start ramping up again. So this is your estrogen and your t- testosterone. They are on the rise. So during this stage, you will feel like you have lots of energy. Um, you're feeling social. You're feeling active. This is probably when you feel like you're getting your best workouts, if that's what you're into. And usually your mood is pretty good. Now, in terms of your sex drive, um, your libido is increasing because you are getting closer and closer to your ovulation phase. So up until your ovulation phase, which is normally about 14 days uh, post your last bleed, you're going to essentially be getting hornier and hornier. (laughs) Now, (laughs) the closer (laughs) you get to that uh, day, um, that is obviously when you need to be more careful than normal because uh, within those three to five day windows on both sides, you are more likely to get pregnant, but it is that usual 24-hour period on your ovulation day that is the biggest risk or opportunity if you are looking to get pregnant for fertilization. That was an iconic explanation. Thank you. And so in terms of your body, you know, I said you're going to be feeling way more energized. I love this phase personally. Like I feel like I can bang out workouts. I can get a ton of work done. Um, Really productive. I don't know, Rachel, what do you think? I mean, 10 out of 10 to the follicular phase, I find it's the best phase. I'm always so productive and I'm way more active. I can probably do three separate workouts in one day and not get tired. 
And also as well, I never get any weird body symptoms during that time. Weird being annoying body symptoms that Mm -hmm. are just kind of, they just correspond with being a woman at this point, but we'll get into it. But two of my big ones are migraines and bloating. And I never get those. So I always just feel a little bit spicy. Exactly. And, you know, um, it's important to kind of, if you're trying to get in tune with your body, uh, the easiest way to know is obviously, you know, how you're feeling um, in your body, your mind. And the next thing is cervical mucus. So during this phase, you'll notice that it kind of starts off like a little bit um, sticky and white. But then as you get closer and closer to your ovulation day, it's going to get clearer, thinner, and more slippery. And what you might notice, it's very like stretchy um, as well. And the purpose of that is so it's easier for sperm to find their way up in there and survive for longer once they do arrive. So be safe out there, kids. Definitely. Don't take any risks when your uh, cervical mucus is uh, getting clear. (laughs) (laughs) We should put that on a t-shirt one day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Extra caution, cervical mucus is clear. (laughs) (laughs) And by clear, we mean don't go. Um, so just to wrap up the follicular phase right before you get into ovulation, um, you're feeling perky, you're feeling confident, really excited about the world. However, uh, one thing to watch is that as your estrogen starts to spike, you might actually get a few um, mood swings. I know sometimes I do where I kind of can flip really fast. I can sometimes feel a little bit anxious or like overexcited. And that's really just your estrogen that it's spiking uh, really close to your ovulation day. And then another thing is, you know, we're always talking about PMS symptoms right before your period, but you can actually have ovulation symptoms as well. Um, So this might be like some light cramping and depending on the side that you are getting the cramping is normally the side that an egg is going to be released. So that is something to watch out for. And then also you can sometimes get a little bit of a breakout. And again, that is just your body kind of like full of estrogen. Okay. You're so knowledgeable about this. I love it. I I, I kind of like nerd out on this kind of stuff. Anything to do with your body, I'm like all about that. Laura is passionate about finding peace with your natural cycle. Oh, it's all about being in harmony. <laughs> it really is. Um So, okay, I'll just wrap up the ovulation phase really quick. Um, So ovulation is, you know, the egg is matured and it's being released from your ovaries and down into the fallopian tube. That's where it's going to hang out for 24 hours, waiting, wishing, and hoping. And I swear, like, baby fever, it's a thing on ovulation day. Like, I am not someone who, like, is going to have children in the next near future or, you know... I'm still sitting on the fence some days about that. And I swear on that day, I'm just like, give me a baby. Like, please just impregnate me. <laughs> I love baby so, fever. Oh, it's God. So <laughs> it's like it's like almost crazy <laughs> sometimes. I'm just it, like, wow, where did this girl come from? Like, who is she? Because this is not me. <laughs> and I swear, like next day, I'm just like, oh, children. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if it happened with you as well, but the sheer difference in my level of baby fever across my cycle just increased once I went off of hormonal hormonal birth control. Oh God, no, it really did. I was just like, 
any man. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Every so often, I remember that I was working as a server for a period of time. And it was like a Christmas event. And there was this guy who was holding, he was like a tall guy holding a baby. But the baby was so small, it could basically just be held in his hand. And I have never been hit with such baby fever in my life. Right. You were probably like, that is the most attractive man I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Was he actually attractive? I couldn't tell you, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, ovulation, your sex drive is going wild. Libido is through the roof. So, you know, enjoy that time, but enjoy it safely. And that is pretty much all I've got about uh, follicular and the ovulation phase. Rachel, you want to take it away with the next one? Sure. The next phase is, I'm sure, everyone's favorite phase. I say the dripping in sarcasm. It is the luteal phase, which is the time between ovulation and the start of your period. So basically, at this point, your body is either preparing for pregnancy or it is preparing to shed your lining in your uterus. So at this time, your hormones will basically, your estrogen will be dropping and your progesterone levels will be rising. And this is when you get the fun symptoms that are related to PMS. So those are characterized by headaches, mood swings, bloating, and you'll probably have a decrease in your sex drive. You might lose your interest in it. And jumping onto the bloating, you might gain a little bit of weight. There'll be some difficulty sleeping, so you might sleep too much or you might have insomnia. And also some sugary cravings or salty, depends on who you are. I think it depends on the month. I It does. Depend, it, depend, it, does it depends on the month. <laughs> this month has been sugary for me. Oh, see, I'm, I'm all about, well, yeah, I'm all about the salty right now. Yeah. Are you eating the chips? There might be a bag of chips beside me. Oh, that makes so, me so happy. Yeah, it's it's definitely open and um, kind of explains why I was a little bit late to the call. I love that. That's great. <laughs> I I support it fully. But I think in this case, it would probably be helpful just to give some pointers on how to ease your symptoms because I know that sometimes they can just be terrible and you're grumpy and you're tired and you don't really know why. So exercise does help, but it is recommended to take on some lower impact exercise. So yoga or walking or even some any low impact strength training. I know that I've been doing some joint strength training lately and I know it can be difficult to get your motivation up for it. So don't push yourself, but it will most likely help you feel better. And finding a re relaxation method that works for you since you're not get, probably not getting as much rest as you were before because insomnia is something that women can suffer from during the luteal phase. So meditation is good. Yoga is good. And again, going for some walks. And also, even though we want the sugary food and the salty food, just try to maintain a nutritious diet during that phase to just keep your nutrients up. And I personally don't do this, but taking Advil or Tylenol can help depending on the types of symptoms you have. I know they don't work for my headaches, but they might work for yours. And just the last recommendation is to really listen to your body and rest as much as possible. Just got to get through it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you really do because it's not, 
it's not fun, but something that's really helped is having a period tracker app. Do you? I think you have one of those, right, Laura? I do. Yeah, I use Flow, and that is F L O, and I've used it for probably the past seven to eight months now. And mm-hmm. I do find it helps because um, every day you put in your symptoms that you are having, if any, and just what you've done throughout the day. And through logging your periods and everything, it, it gets pretty close to tracking like where you are in your cycle. So I have found it really good for me just learning how to become more in tune with my body because um, definitely before that, like I kind of knew what was going on. But I didn't really know like, oh, I'm in the follicular phase. That's why I'm feeling great. Or I'm in the luteal phase. So that's why I'm like feeling really tired. Like fatigue is a big thing for me uh, Mm -hmm. leading up to my period. So it definitely helps. Yeah. And I think as well with tracking your symptoms every day and even tracking your sleep, it can help you identify patterns so that while you may not be able to completely limit or get rid of your symptoms, it's good to know that something is coming. So for me, I've realized through tracking that if I'm going to get a migraine, it is the weekend right after ovulation. Yeah. Do you find you get more like symptoms right after ovulation, like the week before your period or during your period? The week before I have pretty much zero symptoms during my period. Okay. Yeah. I'm very much the same. Like first day I'll get like some bit of cramping, but then mm-hmm. for the rest of the week, like I'm, I'm okay. But definitely that week before, like definitely, um, the fatigue, sometimes I'll break out and like, I don't bloat too bad. I mean, it's noticeable for me. Um, mm-hmm. but I can definitely like feel that change in my body. Yeah. And that actually ties in nicely to the last stage which is the one where I always feel just kind of icky. And that is, that's just your period. And then you restart the whole cycle again. Don't you love being a woman? I know, like, who signed up for this? I sure didn't. (laughs) No. And a lot of the symptoms of when you're on your period are pretty similar to the luteal phase. But I would say, and I'm not sure if this is your experience as well, but I really just want to go inward during this time, which is a yeah, very absolutely. new a very new age way to say it. But I definitely reflect a lot on the month that has passed. I've definitely think about uh, sort of I I'll sometimes like reflect on my past, even beyond the month before. And I also just I just want to rest. The last thing I want to do is work out during that time. Yeah, and I find like during the um, luteal phase and your actual period, I don't beat myself up if I feel like skipping a workout during those weeks. You know, I'm someone who normally like during during the work week, I'll try to do at least like four or five days a week where I'm at least doing something for minimum half an hour. Mm-hmm. But when I have that really bad fatigue, um, I just listen to my body. Like before, I used to try and push through it, but then it was always like just a shitty workout. Um, so now I just kind of honor that like, okay, I'm tired. One day does not make or break you. So mm-hmm. instead, you know, I just rest. And usually um, a day or two later, I come back much stronger and more just in that headspace to have a good workout or be social. You know, um, it's kind of funny if you look at 
uh, the start of your cycle and the end. Um, the start is when you want to be doing all of your outgoing activities. Like if you're feeling creative, you got to do creative things. If you're starting a business, you know, you're, you're doing lots of productive work during that first phase. Mm-hmm. And then near the end, you know, like you were saying before, that's when you go inward. That's when you reflect. So if you're finding um, the more you get in tune with your body, you can start to plan your life around that a little bit. And who knows, maybe you find that like a bit of an enhancer for getting stuff done in your life. Yeah. And I think just to tie that up, just just be gentle with yourself. And especially when it comes to your emotions, I know how I know personally how easy it is to attach negative stories or perspectives about yourself when you're feeling anxious or sad during that week, but just again acknowledge what's going on. Your body is just in that stage where it's not feeling so hot and take yourself out of the equation a bit and just sit with those emotions, feel them, know that in a week you're probably going to be feeling better. Absolutely. Now, me and Laura have actually had a very similar journey because we were both on the same hormonal birth control pill that got discontinued. So, okay, should we start like right from the beginning, Rachel, or are you, are you ready to go there? Oh my. Okay. Lead the way. I'm you ready want me to lead the way. Okay. Well, let's go way back. Actually, it's not that far back. Um, so when I got my first period, I was f- pretty much 15 years old. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was just after my 15th birthday. So I guess you could consider me a late bloomer. However, there is no standard age for when a woman should get her period. I had a couple of friends who got it when they they were 10 and I was a little bit later on there um, at 15. So it's all about when your body's ready. So if you are younger and you don't have your period yet, it will come. um, It just comes when it's ready. So back when I was, you know, uh, in, I guess, early high school, uh, all my friends had their period and I was like, oh my God, it's going to happen any day. Can't wait. I don't know why I was so excited. Overrated. Overrated. And Rachel, I know you've heard this story before and you take pity on me. Um, It's a great story. (laughs) The day I finally got my period. So I had been at the barn all day and um, my back was kind of sore, but, you know, I didn't really think much of it. I was just like, oh, I must have pulled a muscle. So I go home and, you know, go to the bathroom, obviously, and mm-hmm. everything was red. And uh. this, <laughs> this thing that I had been hoping and praying for, like, every day since I turned 13, I was all of a sudden, like, in shock. So <laughs> I ran downstairs and I got my mom. And I'm like, mom, this is what happened. She's like, okay, like it's no big deal. It's fine. And I proceeded now. Okay. Actually, before I say what I proceeded to do, uh, Rachel, would you say I'm a pretty like chill level-headed person? Like not much really bothers me. Yeah. I think any, if you ever have a display of emotion, something really big had to trigger it. Usually you're pretty just level-headed. Yeah, like usually I'm the person who or like if I'm freaking out, you should all be freaking out. Like it's serious. Um, so anyway, I proceed to have a full breakdown. I was like, couldn't believe that this was happening to me. You thought you could have thought I was dying and nothing was really wrong with me. Like did not have bad cramps 
or anything. It was just like the shock of me finally having my period. And I told my mother I wanted a hysterectomy at 15 years old. <laughs> that is so dramatic. Yes. Like for the for all the times I've been dramatic in my life, that's definitely up there. <laughs> to be honest, sometimes I feel like it will probably take the crown yeah, one like, day. Yeah. So here I was curled up in the floor of my bedroom in the corner asking my mother for a hysterectomy. And she's just like, well, you know, maybe you should just give it some time and think about it before doing that. And I'm like, fine, give it a couple months. Um, so that was my big dramatic first period story. And I've been fine ever since. I just, you know, <laughs> had a moment, had a moment in my life. I must have had a buildup of like emotions that I needed to get out. Um, yeah, well, it's also kind <laughs> of a scary moment. It was. And it was really just the shock. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like you know what it's going to be, but you don't at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Because did you ever get those in like starting probably fifth grade, those little booklets that were like the sex ed booklets? <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about the sex ed booklets. <laughs> Where it was like about 20 pages and it was one of those like basically stapled together, barely probably put together on Microsoft Paint. Yeah. And now I have to I have to say about those like booklets and sex ed in general. This is how mm -hmm. shitty sex ed is in schools and why it needs to change is that yes. at grade five, I still didn't actually know what a period was. Like I would see the tampon commercials on TV and pads and stuff, and I did not understand what it was for. Like yeah. until I was probably like in grade eight or nine. And I was like, oh, okay, actually. And that's when my friends started getting their periods. So, like, we would have our own discussions about this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, but it really wasn't until, like, at least grade eight that I fully understood what a period was. And we started learning this stuff in, like, what, grade five, grade four? Yeah. I remember that my early – and sorry, I don't really know how to word this without it being inappropriate. I learned in grade five what happens when a guy gets excited – Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I didn't learn anything else. I, I got 100 on the health quiz. I still remember that in grade five. I got 100%. And it was just on anatomy. So, you know, I knew I knew guys junk. I knew girls. But I still didn't know the actual function because they never actually talked about that. They literally gave us an anatomy lesson. That's basically what happened for me too. And I am using the term excited as also a bit of a punch against my own education because that's actually the word the teacher used oh my god so like i'm like what are they excited about are they excited to go out for recess i know right okay well i went to a public school so i believe they did use the word erection um <laughs> we were a little bit more hardcore <laughs> on the public system but still yeah. we had no idea like and even that stuff i don't think it was taught until grade nine health. And that was just because you were in gym class. If you had not been in gym class through high school, you never would have learned any of this. Yeah. And that was the one thing where I went to a private school and they made health class mandatory for everybody, regardless of if you were in gym or not, because it was just a really small school. Mm -hmm. Now, but what grade did it stop being mandatory? I stopped taking sex ed in grade 10. Okay. So that's pretty similar to the public school route because I remember like we would have 
health class like um, through grade school and not very often. Mm -hmm. It was just like, okay, for the next few weeks, we're just going to learn health stuff. And then you would never talk about it again the rest of the year. Um, But definitely like I think grade nine gym was mandatory. So that's when we did health. Um, But then, yeah, if you didn't take gym grades 10 through 12, you know, you never spoke about health again. Yep. I think we have pretty similar experiences. And it's really a shame. I think it's led to a lot of issues, not just with, you know, um, teen pregnancies and other stuff like that. But I think a lot of women not being comfortable with their bodies. Also, um, women and and men, I shouldn't say it's just women, that uh, they don't know how to ask for respect and safety in mm-hmm. a relationship because it really isn't taught. It's, it's either you learn from your family, which a lot of families do not talk about sex, um, mm-hmm. or your friends whose opinions might not, or sorry, their viewpoints might not always be uh, the best, or you have to look it up yourself. But, you know, self-research can be kind of tough, especially at that age. Yeah. Yeah, don't don't even get me started on the lack of discussion around female pleasure in in a grade school health class. Oh God, that is non-existent. There's no pleasure. <laughs> no, it is not discussed. We learned all about it for guys, but girls, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> you're just that's the only thing that you can do. That's the only that is the act, and that's exactly. It. And you know what? This is the sad thing. So I had to take an elective in. Um, third or fourth year business school and I always loved um, philosophy and I learned Mm -hmm. more about female sexual pleasure from Plato than I did in all my time in school so yeah Yeah. that's a little sad yeah I I was lucky I actually at the school I went to we had a whole year-long human sexuality class which was absolutely fascinating. And to this day, I will just say that's the sex education I never got in school that I should have had before I was 20. And that, sorry, that was at like your your private school or was this in? That was in university. So that I, I took that in my third year of school. Oh my God. And at this point I was learning things that I had never even thought of or thought to question. And I had already been with a couple people before and was in a relationship Mm -hmm. and I had no idea about so many of these things. Yeah, Uh, There's just, there's so much to unpack there, but oh my God. Okay. Getting a little bit off topic. But circling circling (laughs) back back. what we were saying about those sex ed booklets was that it would just show it as like, you know, just a couple red droplets or whatever. And you don't really know that it's, it's scary. It doesn't look like just two little red drops. No, it's like a, fucking bloody massacre yeah and it's just like it's it's scary and do you remember being 13 and you were so excited to get your period and then you got it and now at now at our age it's just the most annoying thing ever and I wish we didn't have to do it yeah um yeah I'm not sure about your experience but mine like I was I was pretty fortunate um through my teen years with my period like it was very regular um like seven days all the time Mm -hmm. and um you know I'd get the odd cramping and stuff but I really didn't have too much PMS and then I went on birth control when I 
turned 20, I think. And I actually was, was taking it more for my skin. It was kind of weird. I never had any acne as a teenager. And then when I had turned mm-hmm. 20, I had started breaking out quite a bit. Um, I, th- that's a whole other thing that led to that problem and my immune system. But, you know, the solution was go on birth control. So the first one mm-hmm. I ever took was a less. And I feel like that's like the standard first birth control that almost all women, and it might come in under like a different name in different um, places, but a less was like the low estrogen um, first birth control to take. Yeah. I I will go back to my experience through the high school because our story both starts with a less on our birth control journey, but I will start with my first day and I was 13 in gym class and um, basically went to the bathroom and I was like, I don't know what's going on here. So I didn't tell anybody for a day. Oh my God. You're a little, little soldier over there. Little little soldier. It's like, this is normal. This is normal. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but like that first day is always nothing really happens. It's like some spotting, whatever. So it's not like, you know, I could get through the day, whatever. And for just some reason, I didn't tell my mom for like 24 hours. It was fine once I did. But then basically from that point on for about the next three years, I just I didn't have cramps or anything, but it was just terrible. Mm -hmm. I just had a really, really heavy flow and it was always kind of just, it was rough. I would just stay home because I just felt really icky. And then I went off to university and my period was regular, which was great. And it went, just to give an example of the difference between what it would be at 18 to what it was when I was 15, is I actually thought that something was wrong because of how light my period had gotten. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's just it was just going to a normal, regular flow. Yeah, and that happens a lot as like when you're a teenager. It's kind of like it will bounce around a little bit and could be a little bit irregular. And then as you get older, in most cases, um, depending on, you know, your body, mm-hmm. it does tend to get a little bit more regular, whatever that regular is for you. Yeah, I thought I was pregnant. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I would have had to have been the next Virgin Mary, but I, I was like, maybe I'm pregnant. And I'm like, how? It's impossible. It's like I've never even seen a boy. <laughs> but I was I was certain. Anyway, I <laughs> wound up on a less when I was 19. And I feel like you had a similar experience with me as me, but the low dose was not great symptom-wise. Um, so for me, Aless and I actually got a, got along pretty good for the first, um, I'd say three years. Oh, really? Um, like everything, yeah, everything was pretty good. Uh, I was still getting breakouts, but like wasn't as bad, but like still pretty bad. Um, and then finally, I think I was in my fourth year, fourth or fifth year, and my period just went really like it went funky. Yeah. Um, I started bleeding for two weeks at a time and it wasn't necessarily heavy, but it was just like constant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd have a week off and then another two weeks on. And I had been taking the birth control like regularly, um, like nothing had changed that way. But I just like kept having this breakthrough bleeding 
And I kind of did some research. Apparently, that is something that will happen with LS. So explanation behind that was probably like my hormones had changed a little bit, you know, getting a little bit older. So that is when I had actually done my own research before going to my doctor. I kind of looked at all the different birth controls that were out there mm-hmm. um, because for me, I need I did need something that was for like acne. And fun fact, found out that LS is one of the worst ones you can take for acne because of the uh, progesterone in it um, was actually spurring on acne. I'm like, oh, no wonder I'm having a problem here. And you're like, great. So, Thank you, medical doctors. Yeah. I'm like, great. I'm breaking out and I'm bleeding all the time. This is fantastic. Um, so I did my research and I went to my doctor with my notes and I said, hey, you know, Aless isn't working for me anymore. This is what's happening. But this other pill, tricycline, um, you know, it's a little bit more proven for acne and it just has like a little bit more estrogen, mm-hmm. just a different makeup really that I think would suit my body better. Mm-hmm. So that is when I changed to tricycline. And Tricycling and I, we were good friends. Like, I liked Tricycling quite a bit. Um, everything was, like, super regular, how it had been before with LS. And I noticed that my skin got, like, a little bit clearer. It wasn't, like, as bad as the LS. It still broke out a bit. But, you know, we, we got along. Things were good. We love her. We love Tricycling. Yeah, yeah. Like, like we were cool. And I was, like, happy on the pill. And, you know, um, around that time, like, a lot of – my friends had been coming off hormonal birth control and switching to uh, alternate methods. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, "Eh, I'm good. Like, like, you know, it's working for me now. So why should I change things? And then finally, and this was in beginning of 2020. So I would get my pills in like three month boxes. And then with COVID, you weren't able to get three months at a time. You had to get like one month at a time. Mm -hmm which I don't know the explanation, but that's apparently what happened. So I had gotten like some birth control. I think it was April. And then when I went back in May, they're like, oh, uh, they don't make uh, tricycline anymore. I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? Like they have to make tricycline. Like this is, this is my birth control pill. Like it works for me. I need to have it. (laughs) And they're like, oh no, no, no. They, they stopped manufacturing it. But um, here the doctor, like put you on something else. And I'm like, well, what's the name of that stuff? And I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of it, but I looked up the um, the makeup of it and it was a heavy progesterone birth control. And I'm like, I can't go on this. Like progesterone and my body, we don't get along. I break out like crazy. And so I was like kind of wondering, I'm like, okay, do I do research and switch, but I really, I just didn't really like any of the other brands out there. And because everyone around me was kind of coming off hormonal birth control, so like partial peer pressure, but not really. Um, I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe it's time because it's been about seven, eight years. Maybe it is time to give my body a break. And so in June of 2020, I finished my last bit of tricycline and that was my shift into the hormonal free lifestyle which it's been a journey (laughs) it's been a good one it's been interesting it's a good one though so my experience with Aless uh was not great from the start I had a great three months in the beginning but I had the same experience with the breakthrough bleeding so I think 
probably starting around three, four months after I started the pill, I basically would be two weeks on where I was bleeding and then one week off. And a lot of the time it was actually quite heavy. So it wasn't like one week was spotting and then one week was your period or withdrawal bleeding. It was just straight through. It was like I was constantly having my period. So I wound up going off of it about a year later and they put me onto tricycline low first and it worked. But again, the dosage wasn't high enough. But what started with tricycline and continued was I would get migraines every single week. So I think I went on to tricy- I went on to tricycline, which was Laura's pill as well, about three months after I tried cy- tricycline low. And Laura, you can back me up on this, but how the tricycline pills work is that each week the hormone balance will change around mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday. So whenever the hormonal balance would shift, I would get a two or three day long migraine. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And it just, it was, I could live with it. And I did for about three years, which in hindsight, maybe I should have switched to something else, but I was a little bit lazy. I'm not going to lie. And I also felt that I was very apathetic on birth control. So my baseline was already always pretty low and maybe you had a similar experience, but I would never experience a super, super high high or a super high or a super high high or a super low low. It was always just very baseline. Yes, I can definitely agree with that one. And alongside the migraines, I also had really bad anxiety that those were my mood swings, but it was going from not really feeling anything to super anxious and overwhelmed that eventually I was actually studying for the LSAT exam in early COVID time. And it was just a pretty extreme exam for me and it was really important. And I wasn't dating anybody and I basically had decided that I wasn't going to be for a year plus because I needed to take a break shall we say and obviously Mm -hmm. it was COVID whatever so I just decided that I couldn't spend the precious moments of time that I had to study for the LSAT because I was also working so the weekends were those prime times to study I couldn't spend every single weekend with a debilitating migraine right so pretty much with us both being on the same birth control, it got discontinued at the exact same time. And I just I just stopped one day. And, you know, I haven't really wanted to look back ever since. I, I like feeling my natural hormones. Yeah, it was pretty incredible um, that first month. And before we go any further, we're going to do a giant, huge disclaimer that If you are thinking of going off birth control um, or any kind of contraceptive and you are sexually active, make sure you are always taking a precaution. Also, if you are having sex in general, you know, make sure you are protecting yourself against uh, STDs and other sexually transmitted diseases. Um, You know, Rachel, as you said, you were not 
or you're, you're not sexually active at the time of making that decision. And, um, you know, you have your plan for when you are uh, sexually active again. And same for me, I am in a long-term relationship and my partner and I do take precautions to prevent pregnancy because that is not something we are looking for right now. Um, So that is just a huge disclaimer that even though we are talking about coming off hormonal birth control, we understand that it is a very easy and accessible way to prevent pregnancy. So don't feel like you should come off birth control just because we are talking about it. If it's working for you and your body, please stay on it or keep using any other contraceptive or protective device that you have. And yes, and also don't feel pressured or like you have to go off of it just because so many, I know a lot of influencers are, there's, it seems like this, it's this new thing to go off of it. And honestly, if it works for you, just stick it, like just keep going. Do your research, really. Like, you know, there's lots of other non-hormonal birth control ways that you can explore and try. A lot of them work great, Mm -hmm. but just make sure you are protecting yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, because before I made the decision, and I think before you did as well, like I talked to both my doctor and my naturopath about it. Same, same. Like it was a a planned journey to come off of of birth control, even though it got discontinued. I still had about a month of my last pack. So by the time I came off birth control, I was under the guidance of my doctor and naturopath. Yeah. And also bear in mind too that everyone's journey is different and your rebalancing journey of your hormones could be a lot different from your friends or someone you're following online or somebody you read about in an article. Like I know that I'm, which I'll get into later, currently doing some natural remedies to try to rebalance my hormones because they were pretty out of whack and it's just your body's journey. Absolutely. Um, So I guess I'll I'll start with my first steps off of uh, hormonal birth control and I felt like almost out of body um, in how I felt. Like going back to what we said about, you know, on on the pill, I, I personally did not feel very many like highs but also not very many lows. This was giving me like the highs and the lows. I swear I wanted sex like 24-7 for the first like month that I was off birth control. Like my hormones were spiking. It was crazy. And I had like not been like that in a very long time. So that was interesting. And um, yeah, so the first like couple months were good. You know, uh, your blood sugar and hormones are starting to regulate themselves. So, you know, you might feel a little bit all over the place, but I, I really did enjoy feeling my body. Like even in those highs and the lows, I, for the first time I felt like I was actually like, oh, okay, body, like talk to me. I'm listening. So it really was a great like bonding experience for my body and I, so to say. Yeah. And I think you might feel this way too, that you hadn't, experienced your natural cycle since you were a teenager and I don't know about you but I was not paying attention to what was going on with my body at the time no definitely not as a teenager like I was too scared of my body yeah I was one sick of my period but two I had literally no clue what was going on at all no like it's just like oh this happens once a month okay 
Yeah, you don't just deal as as a kid, you don't know how to actually kind of think about your body and feel into it. Where when you're an adult and you're actually practicing it, it's kind of wild to see just day by day the differences in you as a person. Mm-hmm. Now, did you notice um, a change in your flow when you first came off birth control or was it relatively the same? It was relatively the same for me. Okay, interesting because mine was um, very different actually. So I went from about uh, seven days down to five and I had always been one to like have a heavier flow at the beginning, like first two days mm-hmm. and then it kind of tapers out. But for me now, it was just like, okay, bang, day one and then two, a little bit less. And then it's like, okay, you're pretty much done. You're just spotting. Yeah, I think actually, so the flow didn't change, but I would say that it did go down to only five days when it was usually six or seven. Okay. And I, I think that it's actually because um, when you are on the pill, you're not really getting a real period. And I'm saying that with quotation marks because it's actually withdrawal bleeding mm-hmm. um, from the pill. So that's kind of why my period would always last seven days at least is because I was off the pill for seven days. And then when I went back on it, it was like, okay, stop bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you first come off the pill – you know, you might not get your period right away. That's very common. I got mine uh, right away, like on on cycle, but that was very in tune to how my body had always been before my birth control experience. So very often your body will revert back to how it was before that. But of course, you know, a lot of women, they go on birth control so soon after getting their period that they don't even know what that regular is. Yeah. And did it change or impact your I'll say secondary symptoms like your acne and such going off that was a really interesting journey for me so I think uh, it's kind of kind of hard because my acne didn't go away Mm -hmm. but I was definitely getting less um but then you know after two months it'd get worse. Yeah. And so it was just kind of like this yo-yo where I would go through a month where my skin would be really clear. And then, um, you know, I'd have a breakout around ovulation day and I'd have a breakout right before my period. So it was kind of one of those things where like I'd have a small breakout. Now I wasn't getting as many spots. I would just get like one or two, but it would, instead of having like constant acne all the time, it would be like, okay, breakout in a spot. It would heal just in time for it to break out again. Yeah. Oh, and for for reference, like my acne was always around my mouth. Okay. It's almost like acne for as a symptom for you was migraines for me. Because yes, absolutely. I as I said, like migraines were constant when I was on birth control, where now it's I probably have them twice a month max. And and do you find that it's around ovulation and the luteal phase, like right before your period? Yeah. So on or around ovulation day, my head will be a bit achy. It won't be a full-blown migraine. Mm-hmm. So that weekend right before, I will always get a migraine. But this month was actually not bad. It was just a tiny little headache. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I am finding like um, another weird thing my body did was I broke out into a rash on my neck and under my right boob. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, do you remember that through the summer where, like, my neck would be really red and dry and scaly? Not a lot of people noticed. 
Um, but that was something that happened. And I did research and I finally came across this like one other girl in this like group that I'm in on Facebook who had the same experience as me. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, it just kind of goes away after six months. And I was just like, I'm going to scratch myself to death before this goes away. So that one, I did have some medical intervention um, because I was in like agony. Um, My skin was burning. It was itchy and it looked terrible. And it was just like right on my neck and I couldn't wear like any underwire um, for bras. Like I was literally just wearing the softest sports bras to not irritate it. Um, So that's where I did go to my doctor and get some cream just to help that. I'm now on this um, acupuncture protocol, which is helping my skin overall immensely and my body. Um, So that was definitely a good thing for me. But definitely like seven, eight months post birth control, I can feel myself like getting a little bit more regulated. I don't really have like the spikes in estrogen anymore or the huge lows. Yeah. Going off birth control, so glamorous. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm looking at this great chart right now, a realistic timeline for hormone and gut healing. So month one, cramps, bloating, and heavy flow are minimal. That was true. Okay. Month two, acne gets worse before it gets better. That was true. <laughs> and then in that, there was like a glorious, you know, month two, month four rise where like, you know, your third cycle really rocks. It's pretty easy. You're feeling in control and then like you're like, yeah, I'm feeling great. And then you have like a little bit of your hair, skin and nails go to shit. <laughs> but then you like kind of pop back up um, and you're like, OK, I'm feeling great again. And this is one thing that some women do experience is did you have any hair loss when you came up birth control? No. The only other thing that I've had and I don't know if part of it is also just stress, but I've never had any acne ever, but I have it all over my shoulders. Mm-hmm. So no hair loss, but acne is a check mark. Yeah, and that's definitely a common thing women also experience is like acne in different places. I can't say that I've gotten acne. You know, it stays normally on the front side. Mm-hmm. But in terms of hair loss, I didn't really experience that either. However, I do take a collagen So I think there was actually a week. No, I'm going to say there was one week not long after coming off birth control that like when I brushed my hair, I noticed more hairs were coming out, but it didn't last very long. Hmm. But again, I was also taking collagen, so I'm not sure if like that's why I didn't experience that. Yeah, because I'm taking a collagen too, and it's more with my nails that I can use as an example, but I was taking collagen pretty soon after I went off. And my hair and nails were like, great, never stronger. Yeah. And I didn't take it for a month and my nails couldn't even grow without cracking. Interesting. Yeah. And you have soft nails like me. Like like my nails don't grow long very often because mm-hmm. I always like split them or crack them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do wonder if collagen has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it does. It's my, it's my miracle little supplement. It really is. Like, ladies, if you're not on collagen and men, get on collagen. It just makes life great because the older you get, the less collagen your body produces. So this just gives it a little boost to keep your hair long, your skin nice, and your nails uh, nice and hard. It's just fabulous. 10 out of 10 to collagen. Absolutely. Um, I know, Rachel, we had planned on doing like a bit of an episode on our uh, holistic 
health ways. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get more into like the acupuncture and the naturopath um, journey that have, that have helped both of us through our um, hormone healing journey post birth control. Mm -hmm. But we're definitely we're going to save that one for another day. Is there anything more about your, your journey so far? Like this is kind of where we both are um, February, 2021. Yeah. I'll, I'll drop a little teaser about the naturopath part because with the migraines, you know, it's only once a month now, so I I can live with them. I just don't want to because once you get it, it lasts for three days and I'm just not into it. So I did actually go see my naturopath in early January and she's got me on something now, which I'll go into more detail about in our episode where we talk about the acupuncture and naturopath and other natural remedies that we found. But my medical doctor, I went to go see them in the summer and they did a blood test, said that, okay, your tests are normal. We don't know what's wrong. Here's a just extreme version of Tylenol. So they weren't very helpful and it was pretty disappointing. But when I finally did bite the bullet and go see my naturopath, she basically was like, okay, this is how your hormones are imbalanced and this is what we're going to do. So now I'm on a full natural remedy of, I think it's a, I don't know the exact term, but it's basically an estrogen balancer and a B6, which is basically minimizing those estrogen spikes that you often get when you go off of birth control. Good, good. And like you're finding that's working for you? So she was saying that it'll probably be three months before I get to a point where my migraines aren't as severe and my hormones are more imbalanced. But usually I get a pretty bad migraine and then for about four days after I'm pretty sad. And this month, I only had a pretty minor headache and one day that I was feeling a bit anxious, and now we're feeling good. So I think it is starting to work. That's great. Progress is good. And that's the thing about like um, any natural journey or any journey at all with your body. Like it just it just takes time. Well, especially with a lot of what we've been doing through our natural remedies and natural journeys is trying to fix, not fix, but address the root problems as opposed to just covering Yes, absolutely. And that that's one thing that um, I've learned throughout my, my journey is that birth control for me personally was kind of a band-aid for my acne and really not the answer. Like now I am addressing the root cause and it is actually working, but I'm going to save that one for another day. Now, Rachel, I have one more um sexual health related question for you. Okay. Did your mother ever talk to you about your period or anything at all before before you actually told her? Okay. I'm always curious about different different upbringings. Listen, that girl just talked about sex so much often. Oh my God, your mother would. And not in an uncomfortable way, just in a way where she really tried to normalize it in our household. Mm-hmm. My dad was not on the same wavelength. Oh my god. But no, I can I can see your father now. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be like, oh God. It was actually kind of funny because when I would avoid those conversations like the plague. Mm-hmm. Be, well, when I was younger, I was always I always wanted. I was like, ooh, getting my first training bra, waiting for my period. I was really into talking about it. But when I was getting to that like 15, 16 where it gets more about speaking about actual sex, mm-hmm. I remember 
my mom tried to give me some variation of the talk in a in the car because she couldn't pin me down other times to actually talk about it and <laughs> locking the doors basically I, you know, knees were turned towards the door. I was staring out the window. I was not having it. (laughs) So my mother, very open about it. Little Rachel, not very open about it. (laughs) I know. And it's kind of funny now because you're you're like, go talk about things with your parents. And they're just like, oh, God, you're asking me these questions. (laughs) And it's just like, yeah, well, I'm ready to listen now. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I wasn't ready to listen then, but I I do kind of want to (laughs) know. What was your mom like? Oh my gosh. So I remember being 12 and my mom like sat me down on my bed and she looked at me and she's like, have you gotten your period yet? And I'm like, no. And she's like, okay. <laughs> Gets up and walks out the door. Oh my God. <laughs> I think she was just like trying to gauge, you know, okay, what kind of conversations are we supposed to be having? That kind of stuff. And I did get the book. Oh, you got the book too. I got the book. I think I'm trying to remember how old I was. I want to say I was 10, but maybe I was a little bit older than 10. And the book was, and I'm pretty sure it's still like at my mom's house, you know, under the staircase with all my childhood books. Um, It was called That's So Amazing. Wow. And it explained explained very well. Um, You know, I think this is why I got 100% on the anatomy quiz in school because it just explained things very well in like a little cartoony way of how your body works. And it did actually touch on the emotional side. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my, my sex education um, as, as like a very young, like preteen. I, I love it. I got the book too, except mm-hmm. basically I came home from school one day or I came, probably from riding. I don't know. And it was just, there was three of them and they were just delicately placed on my bed. Oh my God. They didn't even bring it up to me. It was just there. And I was like, okay. I think the first time we read through it together, Mm -hmm. um, because I think I was still at that age where like it wasn't awkward yet. So yeah, I was definitely like 10 when when she got that book for me and we like went through it together. And then, you know, as I got older, I had to go back and reference it and be like, oh, okay, like that's happening to me right now. Got it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we, we weren't like... I don't recall a time when, like, either of my parents, like, sat me. Obviously, no, my dad would not. Your dad would never. No, not not about that kind of stuff. That was mom's job. And, um, like, I think because this is – okay, this is really sad. Um, through my teenage years, I was so busy riding horses mm-hmm. that my mother, like, she knew. She didn't have to ask if I was having sex. She already knew the answer was no. Um, <laughs> let's just be real about that one. Um you know, there was no, there was no um, questioning that yeah. when I was a teenager. And, and then when I got older and that she was like, I think, I think by that point, she's just like, oh, well, you're kind of an adult. So like, you know, you seem good. And usually you ask if you have a question. So we never really like had that talk in so many words. Mm-hmm. But I think I feel like pretty good by that point. Like I, I had like a lot of close girlfriends around me. So I would talk to more like them more about it than I would go to my mom. Of course, for like serious relationship things, I do still go to my mom for that. But yeah, it's kind of different with my dad. It was more like when I went to school, he knew I was going out to bars and stuff. So I got more like the talk of, you know, don't take a drink from a stranger, which, 
you'd heard like 10,000 times, but every time I was going out, he always had to tell me that just to make himself feel good. Yeah, I can see that. Do both his, both his daughters. He had to be like, okay, girls, no accepting drinks from strangers. And I'm like, okay, dad, and don't leave your drink unattended. No, sir. <laughs> Never, ever, ever keep your hand over your cup at all times. Absolutely. Well, I feel very exposed after those story times. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us on this very open chat. That was that was pretty revealing, but I'm glad we went there. Can't wait for the next chat where we get super deep about different things in life. And until next time, live like tea. Live like tea. <laughs>